This is Polar Geopolitics, a podcast analyzing the global and regional implications of rapid environmental change and rising international interest in the Arctic and Antarctica. Hi, this is Eric Paglia in Stockholm, Sweden. Time now for episode 36 of the Polar Geopolitics podcast. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about a, uh, a place that I must say is a bit dear to my heart, a place I've done some research on, a place I've only been for one week in my life, but it made a huge impression on me back in 2013. And I've written some articles and chapters about this place called Ni Olesund. It's an international research base in Svalbard. We're lucky enough to have here on the phone line today to talk about Niolosund, not just about the community itself, but also the geopolitics that infuse the community with a certain status uh, in Arctic uh, geopolitics in general. We'll be talking to the manager of the Netherlands Arctic Station and the chairman of the Niolosund's Science Managers Committee, Associate Professor Martin Lunen from the Arctic Center at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands, who is uh, currently uh, in quarantine in Oslo on uh, en route to uh, Neolosun for the summer research season. So we're very happy to have Martin here on the phone line to, to talk about Neolosun and some of the recent changes that have taken place. They're pretty significant changes. So, uh, Martin, very nice to have you here on the phone line on the podcast. Thank you for the invitation, Eric. Perhaps we should start, Martin, by, um, I mean, you've been going to Neolosund for, I guess it's close to 30 years now, since the early 1990s. You've been up there pretty much yeah, every, yeah, every the, summer. The first year I came to Neolosund was in 1989, but I started my own research in 1990. And since then, I have been there every summer to study the birds, mainly the barnacle geese. Right, you're an Arctic ecologist by training and uh, profession. And uh, not just that, though, you've also um, taken quite a keen interest and, and made uh, a series of observations about some of the, the way that the station has uh, evolved over the years and the kind of the special role that it plays at the interface of science and geopolitics. Norway, of course, has sovereignty over Svalbard. And uh, Nielsen is part of Norway's uh, uh, way of exerting influence and maintaining its sovereignty, exercising its sovereignty over Svalbard by managing the community and hosting these international research institutes and providing the infrastructure there. And there's been a number of changes over the years, but perhaps we can um, start, Martin, by, from your perspective, 30-plus years of being there, how has it changed and what purpose does it play both scientifically and geopolitically. Yeah, so Nialesund is a town which is owned by Kings Bay, which is a state-owned company. So in that sense, it's not only the Norwegian sovereignty on Svalbard which plays a role, but also the landowner is a Norwegian company. I came there just one year before it really started to boom. There was a strategy for getting most of the research bundled in the Alessund. Eric, you wrote a paper yourself about change of this coal mining community to a science community. And actually, that happened around 1991, when foreign institutes started with more stations. Let's say it started to boom with more foreign institutes showing interest in doing research in the Alessund. So the British were already there for a long time and the Norwegian Polar Institute were there for a long time. But then in 1991, I think the Germans came. The French were so far mainly outside Nialesund. They had an own base there, but they also came into Nialesund for the housing and for the provisions. It was all very well organized. It's almost like going to a hotel 
where you're looked after with your food and things like that, and where the wilderness is very close by to look at. It's not completely a pristine wilderness because there is, of course, the coal mining in the area and human influence is almost everywhere in the world, on the globe. But on the other hand, it's a magnificent Arctic landscape with all these Arctic attributes which are interesting to study. So in the years I was there, I was actually a very small party, just an individual doing research over there. But more and more institutes came to Nihalesund, and it was a kind of also strategy, as far as I know from the Norwegian politics, to bring all these people together and change a little bit on the research which has happened so far and which happened more or less independent and, and could happen everywhere on, on Svalbard. But getting these people together, but also uh, making them work together and joining also Norwegian researchers with all the foreign researchers. So in the scientific evaluation, it is always said that especially all this interaction in the Alessund is very positive. Because of the simple fact that we dine together, breakfast, lunch, things like that, it's all in one facility. It's a community where all the researchers and all the technical people meet constantly and interact constantly when we're sitting on the tables. That makes it very unique. First of all, because the people working there are very interesting. They are highly professional, but they also have all kinds of research projects they can relate to. The other thing is we're all away from home, so we have no problem in making friendship with others and we are not hiding somewhere or something like that. So that makes it a very social community. It's difficult to get there if you want to get there. There are tourists visiting, but they are only visiting for a short while. And basically, you need to know someone who works there to have access to the village, to stay in the village during summer when most of the places are booked. It also has a little bit mystical feeling for people who have never been there but just heard about it. It's not that easy to go there, and that's what you already said. You've only been there for a week, and actually it even would be more difficult right now because in the last polar strategy it was said that only natural science should be conducted in the Alessund. The people in the Alessund are not that in favor of geopolitics in a sense, because it's also creating sometimes a view or problems which are not existing according to our perception. And that's maybe also why it's very interesting to talk to you about this issue a little bit. Of course, why are so many countries interested in doing Arctic research? In that, there is some geopolitics involved because there are two issues. The one issue is that the Arctic is changing much faster as the rest of the world. So now with climate change, it has become a hotspot for research. The Arctic amplification makes it very interesting to be there. There was a recent article by a political scientist at Nord University, Torbjörn Peterson. Uh, the article is called uh, The Politics of Research Presence in Svalbard. It was published in the Polar Journal. I've reached out to Torbjörn and, um, to see if he'd like to join us here on the podcast, and he does have an open invitation to, uh, to come and, and uh, share his thoughts on this. But I thought it would make a good um, point of departure for our discussion on this, sort of this, this interface between the geopolitics and the, and the scientific uh, stations there and some of these changes that have taken place uh, just in the last uh, couple of years. 
where uh, Peterson, he's he's concerned about how these research stations seem to be more like foreign missions, like embassies that are there in the community of New Orleans, representing the countries which, uh, which the research institutes are from. And that's been kind of the way Neolisund has evolved with these national stations, so to speak. And they're always referred to as the, the Dutch station or the Italian station or the Chinese station. This, I guess, has been a concern for a number of years amongst certain Norwegians. And do you see that as being something that they should be concerned about? And how has that changed in the last couple of years as Norway seems to have tried to downplay the national identity of these research stations? Yes, the thing is that nobody is contesting Norwegian sovereignty over Svalbard. No, none of the countries is. So in that sense, there is no problem. But indeed, Patterson raised the point that the national posturing is a security issue for Norway. I don't think that's true. Let's say, for instance, having a Dutch embassy in Oslo is not a security issue. And indeed, you used the word embassy already a little bit. Most of the countries, and also I can say from my own country, are not there to challenge anything of the sovereignty. But I also must say that Norway has an interpretation of the Svalbard Treaty, which is not shared among all countries. The most interesting point in that is that the 200-mile zone is solely a Norwegian thing or if it's linked to the Svalbard Treaty and has the provisions as written in the Svalbard Treaty. And that's just, that's a point of view which is very different. But that doesn't mean that has not played any role in, let's say, the activity of the University of Groningen on Svalbard. We were there already in the 80s, in 79, uh, both on goose research and on the cultural heritage research and we just continued with all that. It's not a reason for that. But of course, there is this background of geopolitics. And what Patterson does is actually linking those local signs of national posturing to the Svalbatry, which is not as clear as he writes it down. But the interesting thing is he uses all kinds of small facts and then says it's a security risk. I don't agree with that. What has happened is that you can recognize some small steps in the Norwegian government. I'm now saying Norwegian government. It's uh, Maybe it's not even Norway, but some people or a ministry over there who have been trying to make Nialesund a little bit more Norwegian. Of course, it is Norwegian as the land is owned by the state company Kings Bay. And we are very well cared about, and I must say that there is a tremendous amount of financial support even for research by foreigners on Svalbard. In that sense, I mean, Norway Norway a, provides no a lot of the infrastructure. They provide the, the buildings that house the research stations. They provide the the laboratories, uh, monitoring facilities, and quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of infrastructure and uh, technology that goes into the that goes into the research station there in Nyulusund. And I think one of the issues is that these stations that we talk about, whether it's the Chinese station or the Dutch station or what have you, they're housed in separate buildings, right? So they, they take on an identity of that country somehow, even though there's not a yeah. lot of national symbols attached to these buildings. The, the Chinese station does have these these imperial lions in the front. That's probably the most prominent one. But for the most part, these are old Norwegian coal mining facilities that um, have been turned into 
rather modern, but but at the same time rather austere uh, research stations. But that that is also to some extent changing now, right? The the direction the Nyolasund is moving towards is not these distinct station buildings, but more shared facilities. Is that right? Yeah, it seems so a little bit. There are new shared facilities, and indeed for the newest group, the Japanese research station <laughs> has moved from Rabin, from the airfield outside Nyalasund to inside the Nyalasund. And it meant that the building where they're in is not anymore the Japanese station. There's just a small plaque saying that there is Japanese research house there. So indeed, the shift is made. And in my view, actually, this trend kills a little bit the chicken with the golden eggs because what happened with this national postering is not that we were discussing the Norwegian sovereignty, but it helped with getting money from the nations who are represented there. So, of course, in the Netherlands, we have to raise money for being active on Svalbard. So the view people had with Nialesund was sometimes it looked like we were all independent, while in the true world, we were a very close community living in a Norwegian town. But the fact that they were called national stations at home clearly helped with getting programs running there mainly making sure that the facility which was there was also used. So there is a trend now that Nialesund wants to become a hotel for researchers. And then being there must be completely based on research programs, which are won by the Dutch, for instance, to go there and to run a research program in a very competitive setting. Well, if it is a scientific infrastructure, then the whole perception in the Netherlands is different because we have a scientific infrastructure which we have to man with scientists. And that's happening with most of the countries. So I think it's a chicken who lays golden eggs. And I'm a little bit afraid that if it becomes a hotel where you just rent labs as you are there, then it changes a little bit. Also, just financially, if you look at it now, there is, especially during this COVID time, it's even more prominent. There is various stations where people can't go to because of COVID. So the buildings are still there and the people pay rent for those buildings all the time. And that's an income for Kings Bay, which is stable. If they would rely on individual researchers, then it's a completely different situation. Their individual researchers only pay for their stay and for the facilities they use during their stay. So part of the international posturing is the golden chicken, which made Nialesund to a golden place in international science. And in that sense, I think the changes are small. The changes are basically in recent years that in the Nialesund strategy, Science should be limited to natural science, but also we lost the world international. Now it's called, the new name is Nialesund Research Station, which is nice, but indeed there are many research stations all over the globe, but there is no one as international as Nialesund. And I would say that's an asset that makes Nialesund unique compared to all the other research bases. And that name has been excluded from the name. 
And even now, if you look, there's a beautiful new website. It's really beautiful. So I'm very proud that the Norwegians made this. But on the other hand, there is, with the logo, it says uh, Nialesund Research Station Norway. And I also think that that's a pity because, of course, it might be called Norway. But if they would have said Svalbard, it was much more pointing to an Arctic research area. And they could use the name Svalbard for it. And nobody is contesting the Norwegian sovereignty over the area described in the treaty. I don't know where it will lead to. It might lead up in the end that there is a hotel Nialesund that scientists are visiting and that there is paid for measuring equipment and putting equipment out, then there is no national postering for sure. But on the other hand, also, there will be less money in the countries which are now having dedicated facilities over there. So you think that um, this sentiment in the uh, Torbjorn Peterson article is perhaps one of the one of the factors behind this, let's say, de-internationalization of the image of Neolosund, that it should be more presented as a Norwegian facility, not an international facility run by Norway. He has a kind of view in describing as if there is a security risk. We do see small things happening in the Norwegian strategy, in the Norwegian science strategy, but also the strategy for Svalbard, the strategy for Neolosund, which show that there is some concern in a broader sense. And we don't want to fight it, but we don't understand it, because I think this is a reaction to, uh, indeed, a layman's view in Norway instead of a layman's view in international society. Simply, the people don't understand all the, all the tidbits of the present situation that much. And so the Norwegian government making these rules is reacting on uh, more or less perception, which they might meet in Norwegian society, but which is not based on knowledge. And even in the Patterson paper, one of the things which really struck me is that he stated that the science organizations in Norway are not aware of the security issue. That's a bold statement, I would say, if they are not aware of it at all. I must say there's no no general security <laughs> I don't think there is a security issue. So in that sense, he could state it, that they are not aware of it. But he creates the myth about the security issue in relation to science happening in the Olesons. Because I think it's mainly, it, it's a relative easy view, though it's, of course, we are such an international community that there are state-dominated parties, but also especially the Asian countries, why are they in on Svalbard? Because Svalbard is the most accessible place for all this in the Arctic. And then the treaty might be a little bit part of that. But so the Norwegians are fighting a little bit sentiments related to this in stating that science is not part of the Svalbard Treaty. I think it's important to distinguish that these countries, um, whether it's Netherlands or Japan or the UK or which which one of them, that being in the Olsen, it's an opportunity, of course, to do the, the natural science, which the the community is set up to do so well. But it's also, I think, there's a certain representative 
aspect to it as well to show that these countries, like you mentioned, when it comes to getting funding, the Netherlands is much more likely to fund science on Svalbard if there's a sort of a Dutch image to be projected there. There's a, there's a geopolitics there, and I don't think anybody really denies that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the the uh, the purpose is to challenge the Svalbard Treaty per se. It is more to sort of to show presence, to demonstrate presence, and to uh, be able to use these stations in these national narratives that say that, yes, we, we deserve a voice in the Arctic, you know, not a claim, not a sort of a, a territorial claim of any sort, but a voice in Arctic governance and in Arctic um, scientific organizations because we do conduct serious science on Svalbard. I think that's part of the geopolitics of it, but it's not necessarily at the expense of Norway, at least in my reading. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Actually, you can start with looking at the Antarctic, where there is actually a provision that you can only make decisions on, on Antarctic governance if you are doing research over there. In the Arctic Council, there are observers, and we are not observing and uh, not participating in a sense. We are participating through conducting science in the Arctic, and we try to contribute to it. So this is not a security issue, but this is related to the geopolitics, and it's a little bit based on stimulated by the solution which is chosen for Antarctica, I would say. But it's not that uh, we none of us expect that we gain extra rights to something in the Arctic because we're doing science over there. But at least we know more about the Arctic and we are participating and we, so we make the Arctic indeed an international science endeavor. And that's maybe what it is. So also for the different countries, we were interested in the Alsun because it's an international science endeavor. And it was important, I know, for the Dutch government that all these international parties were there because they were interested in, if they invest in Arctic research, they also want to have visibility, not just because of geopolitics, but also simply for informing the Dutch society and things like that. And there's nowhere better visibility than in this international community. As the University of Groningen, we also have a biological study going on on Nordschutkuste in the true wilderness, but that has no outreach by itself, while being in the Alessund has a lot of outreach possibilities, but also discussions in the international community, Nismark, where all the representatives of all the stations are there. So it's a mix. I will not deny that geopolitics have shaped the situation and still shape the situation. And I'm not denying that there is some small changes which do seem that not everyone is happy with how it has evolved. But scientifically and financially, I think you have to see it as a chicken who lays golden eggs because it is highly successful in how things have been organized so far. Yeah, because it is a, a business model at heart as well, right? It's a it's an economic model on how these stations 
our finance and how the um, the uh, management of the Yulisund is financed by the rent that these different national institutes pay for the facilities they they rent in uh, in the community. Now, another aspect of this, uh, Martin, that um, is interesting as well is that in some of these recent Yulisund research strategies, it's much more explicit that. Research should only be conducted around Neolosund, right, where other countries, some countries, are pushing back against that aspect of it as well because they want to fan out much further into the wilderness of Svalbard and not be constrained to the to the Kongsfjorden area around Neolosund. Uh, how is that being dealt with in the interactions between these stations and the uh, Norwegian authorities and perhaps also in the organization that you're the chairman of, uh, NISMAC? As uh, NISMAC, we are not responsible for any of the science outside uh, Nialesund. We're clearly a local organization, highly international, but local. Nevertheless, there are two trends at the moment, at least. The, the trend is, of course, that legislation on Svalbard is improving in a sense that there are a lot of nature reserves created, which makes even science in those areas requiring a permit. In that sense, it's a very good step, I would say, but it's also making where maybe there might be a discussion on access to Svalbard land, which is a wilderness, which you might have the impression that it is free for all. That's not true anymore. And I think that's a good decision. There's a, now a structure of protection, environmental protection, where none of the countries can object against. But it does mean that there are permits required and that the Norwegian authority has better control over what the different institutes or individuals are doing compared to the situation in the 1980s. But I think the environmental protection is not bad at all. That's also why I do think that the limit of natural science is a pity because I think the community is so interesting to study as it is such a unique community. And now by a decision higher up, it seems not possible with the argument that everything which can be studied back in Norway should be studied from Norway. But living in the community, I experience so many interesting facts on how it is to live there, all the small tidbits. And in that sense, I think I really liked your paper and even the Pedersen paper in showing that it is unique, but there's also much more to it than just natural science. Indeed, a fascinating place for anthropologists, historians, political scientists, not just natural scientists like yourself, uh, Martin. But has there been any other pushback about some of these aspects as well? I mean, has there been any certain countries that are that are saying, well, we don't want to be limited to just natural science. We don't want to be limited to just Kongsfjorden for our research. Are, are some countries okay with this, where other countries are really making an official protest against these recent policy changes? Yeah, so so the clearest one protesting and maybe also a basis of getting into these problems, of course, is the Chinese organization, CAA, who hoped for a more free approach to their own plans. So maybe even there are suggestions that that impression actually also prompted Norway for taking action in these little bits. But I don't understand. I think it would be so good to bring in senior scientists, to bring in 
Norwegian press and things like that and really show from inside the community how well it functions and what's happening. Of course, I don't know what the Chinese or the Japanese view is, but I haven't seen any big problems arising from the Asiatic countries or the European countries in the Alessund. But Nismak is a combination of all the parties who invest in the Alessund. So more than half of us is also Norwegian institutes. And that does mean that, of course, it's complicated for them to really get involved into the politics of this. The interesting issue right now is that the Norwegian Polar Institute in Nismak, for instance, has two hats. So the one thing is that they are the research institute who is doing research in the Alessund, but also coming from Norway. But the other one is that they are a directorate under the minister. And also they are part of the formulation of the Arctic politics. And in that sense, uh, even within Nismark, we have made very clear who's the representative of Norway and who's working with Nialesund and developing it following the Norwegian strategy. And it's not the same person, but it works well. It is okay, but I I think it's a tremendous interesting place to to not start myths about how Nialesund is organized but to start the true story by really observing it. And that's not allowed anymore. So now the myth is going to build up in a sense. And only indeed people who are staying there longer and have been there longer can say something about this. And that's why I understood also that your invitation to have me in your podcast could be an interesting one. But I don't feel any national or institutional restriction on what I say about this. It's it's personal observations, but uh, looking at what's written sometimes, these personal observations are backed up with some of the facts which we have experienced over the last 30 years. And it's been a pretty stable community. Of course, there's people that come and go uh, that spend maybe one summer there and then you never see them again. But there's a number of people that have been really committing a large part of their lives to, to going to Niyotasund on a regular basis, being part of the, the evolution of the community and the, the building of institutions there. And I guess, uh, Martin, you're, you're one of the prominent ones, but not the only one who's, who's really committed no. to this place. No, you're completely right. There are, there are others and, and, and there are really long-term researchers over there. Geirwin Gabrielsen is there every summer for at least a month, but also the people from Kings Bay, they, um, I think, let's say, the structure of town, which is very interesting, where we, where which is really a community, and there's a community building by eating together and partying together, that makes it also that people lose part of their heart and like to get back to this place and like to hear about this place and feel attached to this place, and so in that sense, there is, uh, yeah, it, it's a tremendous large community it's an incredible it's also for me it's it's a part of my life and even when i'm in the netherlands nialesund is part of my identity in the netherlands yeah this is not just geopolitics this is also personal personal identity and i think that's happening for more people who have been there and that makes it that's actually how i also still appreciate the community a lot and uh, not 
thinking, let's say, of geopolitics structuring the community because the people in there yeah, have a different mindset and approach it from a different appreciation. Of course, their first mission to being there is conducting scientific research. And there's the social aspect as well. But how, how much awareness in general is there of the geopolitics among the scientists that, that circulate through Neodosun on an annual basis? Very little, I would say. Of course, there are people who think more about it, but no, it, it, it's not a big issue for most of the scientists. In that sense, they are more concerned with their financing than with the geopolitics, because it's a Norwegian town. It's the most Norwegian town on Svalbard, also in history, because it's the only one which was from the start a Norwegian town, but also in the... Uh, it is uh, a unique community which is very supportive to uh, to the Norwegian government, but all the Norwegian support the, the, the town is getting. Indeed, a fascinating place, a complicated place. And uh, I'm glad to hear that, uh, Martin, you're going back up there again for yet another summer, 30-plus years of being up there and doing your uh, scientific research, but yeah. also wow. keeping your eyes open and your ears open to uh, the, the other uh, activities that are going on, um, perhaps a little bit under the surface uh, up in uh, up in Svalbard. So uh, we hope to be able to speak to you again on this podcast to get updates on, on the um, – continuing evolution of this of this place uh, where uh, science and geopolitics most certainly meet. So Martin Lunin, uh, Associate Professor in Arctic Ecology at the Arctic Center at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands, also the manager of the Netherlands Arctic Station, chairman of NISMAC, and I should also add, uh, recently named officer of the Order of Orange Nassau. Congratulations for that as well, Martin. Well-deserved. Yeah, that's because of all the outreach I'm doing, the international committees and things like that on Arctic research. But that's what I say. It's the Arctic is my identity, in not only in the Aalesund, but also in the Netherlands and in my family. I wish you all the best with your research and the continued uh, success of the Aalesund Research Station as well. So thank you again, Martin. Thank you, Eric.